Merry Christmas again. We'll spend some time here. Um, and if you've been around church at any time, the word or name that comes during the Christmas season is found in Isaiah 7, Emmanuel. In the Old Testament, Hebrew, we get I-M, can be translated with E-M, but the whole th- point of it was there would be a child coming one day, and he would be called many things, but above all, Isaiah tells us he would be called Emmanuel, which means God around us, with us, God near to us, and that was going to be good news. We'll spend a brief moment in Isaiah. We'll hopefully get to Matthew 1 in the next few moments. We'll wrap this service up, say Merry Christmas, and go live our lives, right? If you came here for a Mount Zion-type moment, aha, it might happen. But I just want to tell you about this guy, Isaiah. And I want to tell you about Matthew. Isaiah, we've seen him a couple weeks ago. He's an interesting guy, right? He's from the royal kind of priestly family. I spoke last night how he saw something of God in the temple, Isaiah chapter 6. The temple shook. God symbolically cleansed him as a young man and said, you'll go speak for me to my people. Now quickly, a little history lesson, because it's important not to just throw verses or throw statements out, but Isaiah wrote around 740, started his ministry around 740 before B.C., eight centuries before Jesus. At that time... Israel, the kingdom was divided into two kingdoms, Israel in the north, 10 tribes. There was 12, remember? 10 split, two went south. The nation, the people were divided. How many of you guys watched the election coverage this last 18 months? We're probably divided by like 100 ways, but Republicans and Democrats maybe, north, south, but the, the kingdom is divided. And when Isaiah shows up on the scene, There is a king named Ahaz. He started reigning when he was 20. Anybody 20 in here? Those were the good old days. How would you you have reacted if you were given the keys to the kingdom at 20? Maybe. Maybe you would have been better than most of us, right? But Ahaz was okay. Not really. He didn't really finish well. Read 2 Kings. But what happened was there was... Mounting pressure on Twitter and Facebook back then, and there was rumors of wars coming. Ahaz and his counselors were hearing about Israel. Their brothers were, it gets confusing, so I'm going to talk slow, were aligning with Syria, modern-day Turkey, Syrian Empire. And they were from the north, and the Twitter feed all day was hashtag We're going to come get you. Hashtag be ready. And so one day, Ahaz was out. This is all in Isaiah 7. If you don't believe me, read it later. Surveying his supplies and resources. Over here was the military installments. Okay, we got this and this and this. And over here was the food. Okay, if they siege the city, we'll get this. And over here was the water, the aqueduct system. And when he was surveying the water, as a good king would be to do, a bad king would say, fortify the palace and the people are on their own, right? That's kind of wicked. He was doing his best. God tells Isaiah, go speak to Ahaz. So Isaiah shows up. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, even Elisha and Elijah, some of the other prophets, when they went and talked to the king, the king was already on the defense. 
because usually they were critiquing, remember, the empire. They had a word from the Lord to say, return back to your first love. Usually, that's kind of a big generalization in the Old Testament. Hang with me. Read it for yourself. Critiquing. How many of you like to be critiqued? You're in church. Thank you for being honest. How many of you hate to be critiqued? Even when someone is doing it lovingly, double hands up. How about when your spouse does it, if you have a spouse? That's always fun. But I love you, that's why I'm telling you this. Okay? So Isaiah comes to Ahaz, lots of words, hang with me, I don't want to confuse you too much. And he says a few things. The first thing he says is, fear not. Poignant. All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. I said it last night. When someone from heaven, a messenger from God, speaks to human hearts, 95% of the time, the first thing they say is not, I'm going to spank you. It is fear not. That tells us a lot about God, and it tells us even more about human hearts, right? We are prone to wander and prone to fear everything. Not to get political, we had two candidates that got over 100 and whatever million votes based on fear, both sides. It's a machine, okay? It makes a lot of money. It has always been so. So Isaiah shows up to Ahaz and says, don't believe the Twitter trending messages. Don't believe the Facebook post per se. Fear not, a child is coming. This is where our prophecy gets interesting. Isaiah I'm here to tell you, did not know about the coming Christ the way we know about Jesus. Isaiah was just speaking on behalf of his God. There's a child coming, and this is basically the prophecy, we'll see it. And before he or she, he is off solid food, and before he's out of diapers, this discrepancy or issue will be gone. That's what the prophecy was, where we get this term, Emmanuel. So when Isaiah writes and tells and shows Ahab, he is saying, don't be scared. Don't be scared of Syria. Don't be scared of Israel. God is with us. That's what he's saying. He is not speaking about this per se. He couldn't have known. The Bible wasn't written that way. And that should bring the humanity of God to our hearts. Isaiah didn't get in a trance and go, genie in a bottle, let me get crazy. He was writing to a specific time, and God and grace would use that, and we'll see that as we get to Matthew. He uses a very common phrase, Isaiah. Hey, before your kid is this child, not his per se, before this child's out of diapers, this conflict will be donezo. And then he says one more thing. Isaiah says to Ahaz, and this is where it gets tricky, don't align yourself with the Assyrians, different empire, very important. Trust God. Isaiah basically says to Ahaz, the leader of the people, don't be idolaters, trust God. Don't put your trust and faith in a worldly empire. Trust your heavenly father. Let your fear rest in God, not in what you see. You can read the story. Ahaz dies a pretty miserable existence and death at 36, doesn't make 40, doesn't listen to Isaiah, aligns himself with the Assyrians, and guess what's happened? They take care of business and the exile happens. And who was the conquering force of the day? The Assyrians. I only say that to get us to Isaiah 7 so we have a brief context of the history. So Isaiah 7, 10. 
in this conversation, back near the aqueducts, back near the water, where Ahaz talks to Isaiah, verse 10, Isaiah 7, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, and he says what? Isaiah says, ask of, a, ask of the Lord your God, let it be of deep as shoal or as high as heaven. Verse 12, that's confusing, I'll explain it. But as Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord God to the test. Isaiah's told him about the great providence of God that is at the fingertips of the nation. And then Isaiah says, ask for a sign. Don't necessarily just take my word for it, but ask God for a sign. And what does the kind of pompous king do? I won't put God to the test, even though I won't obey him. But he kind of rebuts the prophet. Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Now some of us who are older, when we see the word virgin, we think one thing. Only thing that's meant in Hebrew is young woman. That's all it meant when Isaiah said it. That's all it meant. So I'm showing you in the scriptures the sign that was given by Isaiah to Ahaz. And I'll show you the proof of by the time he's out of diapers. Verse 15, he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose good. Verse 16, for before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be destroyed. There's your sign. Anybody remember Jeff Foxworthy? Comedian 20 years ago? As a sign thing. There's the sign. I explained it. Before the sun is very old, this threat will be gone. That's what A has received. That's the context of where we first see this name, Emmanuel. It wasn't necessarily to Ahaz about the coming Messiah. It was about their God in the Old Testament being with them. But God in grace was doing something far bigger. We know that. So I only bring that up to get us to Matthew 1. Because Russ read it, and we'll read some more of it. Eight centuries later, I, don't even, I can't even fathom that. What would that be, 2816? Is it 2016? I, can't, I don't even know what that looks like. Matthew 1, verse 18, we know the story, hear it. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 19, don't you love Joe? And her husband Joseph, they weren't married, but they were betrothed, so they could call him that, per se. And in the writing behind, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph didn't put on Instagram, do you believe what she did to me? Joseph didn't throw it out there to the town to say what? Mary's cheating. He was just and good and quietly he said, we'll take care of this. That's good. We like that. Learn from that. Learn from all the scriptures. Next verse. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel appeared and said what? What's the first thing the angel said? Isn't fear like paralyzing? The angel visits him in a dream and says what? Don't be afraid. 
What was Joseph to be afraid of? A lot. But God sends a messenger and says, don't be afraid. Just to pause, we'll wrap up the rest of the sermon. Just think in the quietness of your heart. What has fear caused you to do or not to do in the last year? Just a question. I asked it in my own heart. What has fear either kept you from when you know you're supposed to do certain things that are right or propelled you to do things that even while you're doing them, you know you're doing them based on fear, not based on truth or goodness maybe. I don't condemn you. The Lord doesn't condemn you. I'm just trying to bring these things to thought to say maybe in our heart, I don't want to live like that. Fear and being paralyzed by fear or being controlled by fear is as old as Adam and Eve, and I mean that as human history. The first murder in the Bible was sparked by hate and fear. I mentioned it before, but if you don't believe me, do a little more research. Much of our political system is promoted by fear. Much of our advertising, we'll see in the Super Bowl in a few weeks, deep on a subconscious level is driven by fear. You will not be a good father unless you get this for them. Christmas, anybody? I want to be a good father. I want to be a good husband. So fear has a long and arduous history in human history. And God from heaven throughout the scriptures usually says what? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Come close. I am here. I know. If only God knew. He does and he still says, fear not, come close to my son. That's a good father. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him saying, what? Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived is her from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Literally mean Yeshua saves. God in heaven saves and helps. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through who? Isaiah. So Isaiah, speaking to Ahaz, eight centuries earlier said, God's got this, fear not. Matthew shows up, Christ coming to the world. Big word, the incarnation of God, God becoming human flesh, fear not. Now quickly, I want to disparage a myth, and I have a volunteer and she's fidgety, so it's perfect timing. Put your shoes on, little girl. The incarnation of Jesus... Jesus coming to earth is not like October 31st, okay? Ashton, come here. Yes, we love Star Wars. Christmas morning is not like this. Go ahead. Go.
Darth Vader, thank you. You don't want to, you're good? You're peaceful? You come in peace? Yeah? Are you good? Okay. This is cute, right? This is fun. This makes us laugh, right? Thank you, Ashlyn. Are you proud of yourself? You did good. She was very excited on the way to church this morning. Christmas morning is rather God answering fear, being faithful, and entering into humanity, bringing, if I remember him, here we go, hope, peace, joy, light, and himself to us. Don't make the mistake, Christian or non-Christian, to think Jesus simply came and disguised himself as a human to kind of show the way, and it's cute, and it's fun, This is not what happened on Christmas. God became flesh. He didn't dress up. He became one of us. That's important. One of us would go to that cross. That's important. One of us would show us the better human. That's just as important. Sometimes in Christianity, the Reformation did a lot of amazing things, but sometimes... I'm not being a heretic. We place too much emphasis on Calvary and forget the first 30 plus years. They're tied together. They're linked. Without Christmas, we have no Golgotha. Without the incarnation, not in a cute way, not in a Halloween way, not in a, oh, that's so dainty and nice, but in a real way, we have no human to stand for us. Christ came and became a human to die 100%. We see that in John all over the place. It is not my time. It is not my time. I'm going to the hill. I'm going to make this right. But he also came to show Dave how to be a human being and to you how to be a human being. He appeared in a manger humbly and meek. I said it a month ago. Would Chelsea Clinton or Barron Trump ever appear in a manger? No way. They would both appear, what's better than the Ritz? Is there one? I'm sure, in Monaco somewhere. Is that the right place? I went by on a train 20 years ago. I went to get off. I said, sir, you keep going. (laughs) But my point is Jesus came. God entered into humanity, and that's a beautiful thing. Everything besides humans were going just as planned in God's creation in some ways. This is called theodicy. There's big words. There's philosophy. There's theology. But let me say it this way. Has anybody ever seen a blue whale in the Pacific Ocean when they are mating or feeding? They're majestic and wonderful. Anybody ever seen the shows of the safaris in Africa? No, humans intervene and some things happen. And I'm not a quote-unquote tree hugger. I'm just saying the way it is. Lions are fine. Lions got it going on. Chimpanzees appear to have their act together. Minky whales in the Arctic Ocean are doing great until humans show up. What I'm trying to get at as is we, the human race, are the ones with the issue on this planet. Can I get an amen? We got a few problems. Look at the world. So Christ 
knowing that and seeing that, didn't put on a mask at Christmas, didn't have a lightsaber. He became one of us to save us and in Paul's view, to restore humanity. First Adam came, it all was bad. The last Adam came to set it right. Yes, to die on the cross for salvation, but I'm here to tell you, belief and faith in Christ, that's when salvation starts. Again, we don't think of Christmas as get a feeling, pray a superstitious prayer, and go on with your life. We see Christmas as God coming to earth, showing his great love, his compassion, his mercy, all the things we prayed and sang through. And then his command was what? Just follow me. That's it. And that's where faith comes in. Almost done. I have here, chimpanzees are not the problem, I'm the problem, that's in my notes. My heart sometimes is the problem. The police force and judiciaries are not the problem. It's a good system per se. The people overseeing have some problems. Politics on the whole are not the problem. People on all sides of the aisle that fill those can be the problem. Churches, trust me, are not the problem, the idea. Sometimes people in the church, myself included, can be the problem. This is why we needed Christ to come in human form. And that's what he did. God showed up. As humans, we are missing the mark. As humans, we are deeply wounded people by the things that people have done to us and by some of the things we have done. Jesus at Christmas shows us he's willing to take on the ugliness of humanity and say what? I'm all in. Athanasius of Alexandria, church father, born just before the year 300, depending on who you believe. It was 296 or 298 A.D. He had a great metaphor, and I'll close with it, for Christmas. Back in those days, we didn't have digital every, anything. We didn't have high definition. What would happen was the head of the house would come, and an artist would come to the home, and... I'll pick on my friend Rich. He's sitting right there. Rich owns a home. He's like, why are you doing that? Just hang there, nothing. And the artist would come and make a portrait of Rich. And it would be wonderful, right? Best suit, best whatever on. And it would look great for like four or five years. Materials weren't as good, weren't as durable. Artists were great. We know that from history. But the sun and other things would happen, and the canvas would become kind of fragmented or maybe even scratched, and the image would fade. That happened often. Because resources were scarce and because people back then had a different way, Rich and the Steiger family wouldn't throw away the canvas. Rather, Rich would send word to the same artist and say, come back to my home. And redraw me on the same piece of parchment or canvas. That's what happened. 
Athanasius of Alexander said that's Christmas in a nutshell. God started over once in Genesis 6. He promised never to do it again. Rather than when our image as humans started to dim and fade, rather than to throw away, he sent his artist back to humankind and said, show them how to paint a picture of humanity and of me. And that's what Christmas is about. Jesus Christ came and showed us who God is. I'll close with this. I said it twice, but this is important. Whatever misconceptions you have of God, let them fall by the wayside and figure out who this man, Jesus, is. God in grace said, this is the full revelation of who I am. John would write, and we can kind of draw some parallels, it doesn't appear that Jesus left any sick people after he left an area. Maybe he did, but maybe not. That's what God's like. When faced with sin and the vileness of humanity, Jesus taught truth, and he simply said, repent and believe. That sounds churchy. It means change your mind and see your heavenly father. See him as good and return. And I'll take you on this road. When he saw women being objectified in horrendous ways, you know what he did? He basically said, in love, God has never been about that. God will never be about that. Change your ways, men, or depart from me and my kingdom. Oh! When he saw injustice happening, he said, reconsider. You call yourselves teachers and scribes and you've missed the very heart of the law. When he saw violence happen, even on the night of his betrayal, when one of his boys was standing tall for him. Don't you love Peter? Peter took out his little sheath sword thing, chopped an ear off. And what did Jesus say in love to his disciple? Bro, put it away. And then he went to this oppressor. Think about that. And he touched the oppressor and said, be healed. And apparently he was healed. I'm here to tell you, Jesus came as a human to do all those amazing things and then to teach us just how to be human. What would Jesus do fails because once it got so big, this thing, money got involved, and that's a whole other sermon. But the principle is not bad. I would say as a pastor on Christmas, don't simply dwell on what would Jesus do, just follow him and see what he would have you do. He will shock you. He offers freedom and grace and a law of love that our world desperately needs. I shared it last night. I'll share it again. Hey, pastor, what is God like and what does Jesus want for, or what does God want for my, my life? Two, two questions I get more. What is God like? I used to try and explain. Well, he's omnipotent and he's powerful and he's righteous and all those are true because Jesus is that and more. And so my question now is, hey, pastor, what is God like? He's a lot like Jesus. Go check him out. And pastor, what does God want for my life? I don't know. I can point you in this way. He wants you to learn and follow the example he set in a baby, his son, Jesus Christ. That's what I know. 
God is like who he revealed himself to be, his son Jesus. God wants you to believe in him and follow his son Jesus. This Christmas, as we close with Emmanuel, God is with us and in the form of the human being Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, pray a superstitious prayer and hang out with me and you'll go to heaven. He simply says, follow me. Be a little Christ. We'll go on a journey. You'll learn more every day. And the hardest lessons of your life won't be, I believe, in our country with persecution per se. It'll be with dealing with forgiveness, reconciliation, bringing peace, and being an agent, a person who would walk into a room and uh, the highest compliment you could probably receive or I could receive is, I don't agree with everything you're about and we could discuss and that's good, discuss. But man, I see a lot of Christ in you, the Christ I read in the scriptures. I see a lot of long suffering and forgiveness and forbearance, that's my heart. You guys have been awesome kids, well done. Look at all the kids. You guys have been so great. Why don't we stand as we close? Christ has come. He has shown us who God is. I already lit the Christ candle, but all of them are lit. Let me pray, and uh, we'll go on celebrating our day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this time and this season. Thank you for these folks in this building. Thank you for loving us enough to send a human being, to send yourself, Lord, to show us what we are to be, full of grace and truth and forgiveness and goodness. Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your kindness and we thank you for your mercy. Father, as we go, I pray that you would bless and keep us, that your face would shine upon us, that you would be gracious and merciful to us all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.